Shalom. This is Rabbi Paul Saul at Congregation Shuvah Israel in West Hartford, Connecticut. The Devar Torah I'm going to share today is principally about fear, and I wrote it back in 2008. I don't actually remember what fears I felt forced to confront then, but somehow this commentary feels every bit as relevant today. Much has been said about the fears we faced as we went into quarantine or semi-lockdown mode, but 15 months later, I think we deal with a totally different set of fears. Vaccinate or not to vaccinate, going back to the office, school, or even to synagogue. But the greatest fear of all, I find, is putting on my clothes that fit last year. The one thing that has not changed is the nature of fear itself. So I hope this drosh offers some perspective and some hope. In the spring of 2002, I went to an art exhibit that was featuring a grouping of pictures painted by a good friend who was beginning the process of leaving the safety of a career as a commercial artist and pursuing an art form that was uniquely his own. The collection was entitled, quite simply, Monsters. I was not prepared for the transition in his work. My friend's commercial work had always been very clean, crisp, and professional, and uncluttered. His new art was dark, convoluted, layered, and quite primitive, obscuring warm colors with dark shadows. What my friend had done was to take his seven-year-old son's crayon drawing of monsters and reinterpret them in a more adult, almost serialist genre. The oil recreations hung next to the crayon originals in this sophisticated Massachusetts gallery. Though there was no written explanation of the work, it communicated to me an honest yet often ignored reality of life. The fears, horrors, and the insecurities of our childhoods do not disappear with time as we might imagine, but rather they remain buried in our psyche only to reemerge in more sophisticated genres and expressions. Unless we deal with, slay, shrink, or unmask the monsters and the giants of our past, we make a subconscious home next to our child within. The Torah and the Haftorah today are related events bridged by Israel's 40 years of wandering, a divine discipline of sorts. But more than a punishment for their unfaithfulness, the wilderness experience was God's further preparation for Israel to endeavor in the Canaanite conquest, which they were not yet ready for. The Torah portion begins with Moses sending out 12 agents, one from each tribe, to examine the land and give a report to the people. All the reports expressed that the land they had come to be a good land that did indeed flow with milk and honey. But ten of the twelve tribes saw only the potential for calamity in the land and couldn't imagine that the God who had guided them to this land might also deliver it into their hands. Their report is very telling. They said we look like grasshoppers to ourselves, and so we must have looked to them. What's even more telling is the reaction of most of the people who wept all night and complained about their leadership, imagining that they would have all been better off staying in Egypt. In fact, they even contemplated heading back to Egypt. In their minds, they were still slaves, undeserving of freedom. On the surface, their reaction seemed so illogical that it would have been not only silly, but also improbable. Of course, their lives in Egypt were a 400-year living hell, beatings, starvation, 
thankless labor and often unceremonious deaths at the hands of ruthless masters. Yet, how can we explain that even today, in the midst of our enlightened society, there are those who remain under the thumb of object abuse? Wives and children who are regularly beaten, employees who stay in thankless, underpaid jobs, and devotees who remain in systems of heightened spiritual abuse exhibit the same tendency to endure the hardship of the unknown rather than face the giants and the monsters that loom so large in their own imagination. In stark contrast, though, the spies of our Haftorah portion give us a renewed sense of hope. They went into Jericho after 40 years of wandering and came out with a completely opposite opinion to the predecessors. They said, truly, the Lord has delivered us into our delivered into our hands all of the land, and moreover, all of the inhabitants of the land melt before us. So what happened from one generation to the next? How did they conquer their fear? They spent 40 years observing that an unseen force nurtured, protected, and preserved them. They came to believe that the God who had delivered them from bondage for the sake of their fathers and who had promised them the land they were about to enter could and would bring it all to pass. The fact is that fear is to courage what inhaling is to exhaling. It is hope, though, that gives us the courage to do what we're afraid to do. We fear and we hope at the same time, and fear lurks behind hope, just as its bright face hides the dark side of the moon. Courage has multiple faces. It can mean saying no to compromise, or it can mean making a difficult compromise. It can entail dying a heroic death or living through terrible pain. It can mean fighting a good fight or knowing when it is best for all to concede. But courage always involves facing our fears. Having courage often means enduring when troubles are upon us. This is a kind of passive courage, where the real risk is not death, but rather genuine life and hanging on to life when the sullen days of a wearing winter are too long and dark to endure. Mustering this kind of courage, that we go on even when we complain inwardly and outwardly that life is unfair. Maury Schwartz exemplifies this kind of courage, as recorded in the book Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. Maury Schwartz was Mitch's beloved professor who had kept sporadic contact with him. But when Maury became terminally ill, Mitch decided to visit him with regularity. The book documents their every Tuesday meetings and Maury's rapid physical decline. But as his condition declined, his inner courage became ever more evident. The children of Israel certainly endured much torment during the years of enslavement. Much is made of their lapses of faith and mutinous activities, but not enough is spoken of Israel's emerging courage. In large, Israel endured despite endless foes and constant threat to their survival, and so Israel continues today through Inquisition, Holocaust, Pogrom, and Jihad. Israel has grown in its passive courage. But active courage is also essential. This requires us to act well at the risk of danger. We look our fears full in the face and do what we must in spite of it. Israel had to muster that type of courage as they prepared to enter the fortified city of Jericho. It would have been easier to find elsewhere to sojourn. After all, they had livestock and gold and treasures taken from Egypt. 
Weren't they the descendants of nomads? And after all, weren't their encampments in the wilderness vastly superior to their their past life of bondage in Egypt? But that would not have allowed them to fulfill their destiny. Ruby Bridges is no longer a household name. But when the Louisiana public schools were integrated back in the turbulent 1960s, Ruby was the first little girl to cross the line and enter a previously segregated public elementary school. Having only sheriff's deputies and state policemen between herself and the assembly of bigots who came out to spit and hurl insults, the courageous little girl walked the gauntlet to a new school where she would have no friends, no acceptance, and no comfort. When interviewed, Ruby's mother described why Ruby did what she did. She said, there's a lot of people who talk about doing good and a lot of people who argue about what's good and what's not good, but there were also some other folks who put their lives on the line for what's right. Active courage is no more difficult to muster than passive courage, but easier to put off. Much of our procrastination is just a sluggish denial of our fears. The Oxford English Dictionary defines courage as facing danger without fear. This may be a popular opinion, but I think it's patently untrue. In fact, I believe only people who are afraid truly exhibit courage. The question is, where do we get the strength to do the things we're afraid of? Well, the answer is hope. The spies in this week's Haftorah portion, in a sense, are the reconstituted courage of Caleb and Joshua, who stood up to the masses and their own monsters and giants and believed the promises of God. Continuing a 40-year journey of monotony, pain, and suffering demanded resolve, courage, and spiritual stamina. As a result, the people of Israel were birthed in a womb of hope. God met all their needs and led them toward their promises. So, in this sense, hope was their fear, as even though the lens of their courage. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who risked everything to fight the Nazis. He was put in prison, and from there he penned letters that give people hope even today. In one, he wrote this prayer, and I quote, Give me the courage that will deliver me from fear and faint-heartedness. He was given that hope, and hope gave him courage. But the Nazis killed Dietrich Bonhoeffer anyway. But his hope was not unrealized. The Nazis were defeated, and God was seen, as he always is, the ultimate victor. We're often afraid that we're losing the fight, and we suffer fear and anxiety. But hope brings back a faith that we will win. So face those fears, both large and small, head on, and echo the words of the Shaliach. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Again, this is Rabbi Paul Saul. I hope you enjoyed this commentary. And if you'd like to read similar uh, Divrei Torah, you can just log on to umjc.org. Thank you. Have a good Shabbat.